I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning about the familiar experience that many of you had arriving. I want to talk to you about driving, about what it takes to drive, about what it means to have something that drives your life, and about what it is to have something that drives us in the life of the church. To drive something really means to to direct it, doesn't it? You discover those of you who, who are just learning to drive, and that's been the case of our house, that, that once you turn the key and take your foot off the brake, the car goes. Like it, it doesn't really need a lot of help. What it needs is direction. So to drive a car means to direct it. When you drive a nail, same sort of thing. You know, the trajectory of the hammer, the force is all there, but you are going to use the fine motor control in your arm to direct it. And if you don't have fine motor control, you are, like me, going to arrive for several Sundays with a blackened thumb. Golf ball. (laughs) When you want to drive a golf ball, where does it go? In my case, it goes wherever it wants. I mean, it's... uh, and there was a time when I was learning to golf where I didn't care. I mean, as long as I got a hold of it, I wouldn't mind if it went backwards. It just felt good to really get a hold of it. God knows sometimes, though, where that golf ball was going. What is it that drives your life? We're thinking about for a few minutes as we begin. What is it that drives your life? It could be money. It could be ambition. It could be fear or security or ego. It, it could be something else. And if we think about the church as the gathering of God's people, we could say not just what drives your life individually, but what is it that drives a church? What drives us together? It could be tradition. It could be making budget for lots of churches. The past two years have been hard, and and their focus has just been survival. Can we survive? It could be spiritual consumerism. Let's just offer great products to people who are out there, and they'll be attracted to the products. It, it could be something else. This morning, what I'd like to do is we think about the mission that Jesus started is probably the something else. It's nothing that we have really mentioned already. I want to take you to a pivotal moment in the ministry life of Jesus and to that that little passage that Miriam just read for us. Remember the words? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming good news. What kind of good news? The good news of the kingdom. And accompanying the good news, he was healing every disease and sickness. And it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, that he had compassion on them. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he shared those thoughts with his disciples. He said to his disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus led a driven life. Uh, You sense that on every page of the Gospels, as you read through the story of his activity, of his prayer, of his passion, what was his life driven by? Hmm. Sense of purpose? Yes, but what was the purpose? Sent by God? Certainly, that was key to his identity. His life was driven by love. By a love that was unstoppable. It was driven by love, and that love formed the heart of the mission. Uh, 
And he would travel all over from place to place, meeting people. And, and in his meetings, he, he saw all kinds of human activity and all kinds of human misery. He saw lepers, people who nobody else would touch. And, and he would go to them and he would touch them. He would embrace them. He saw this paralyzed man. You remember the one? He, he'd been so sick for so long and he was so sick of being sick. And his friends felt so passionate about his condition that they cut a hole in the roof and dropped him down so that he could meet Jesus. He saw a blind man who was reduced as many blind men were in those days and maybe still today, was reduced just to begging for coins at the side of the street. He saw people who didn't have enough money for doctors or medicine. He saw desperate parents who would bring their children he saw the anxious and the depressed and the fearful and the afraid. And, and in each of them, he would look them in the eyes and, and there would be that yearning. Do you see me? Do you see me, Jesus? Could you help me, Jesus? Some of them said it out loud. Lord Jesus, heal me. Some of them, he just saw it in their faces. Matthew says this wonderful thing. It says that when Jesus saw the crowds, that he had compassion for them. As you're working through your understanding of what God is like, one of the core understandings that we hold to is that, that Jesus is the lens through which we can examine the character of God. And so if you want to say something about the character of God, don't miss that adjective. He had compassion. He was compassionate in the way that he saw people. He didn't lead with judgment or superiority or disdain. He just saw people. Look over there, there's, there's an orphan. Look, there's a poor woman forced into prostitution. Look, there's a Pharisee. Look how confused he is. He wants to love God, but, but somehow he's gotten all tripped up about it. There's a Roman soldier. Everybody hates him. There's a vulnerable widow and nobody even sees her. No money. She's, her position in the world is so precarious. Over there, there's, there's a rich, young ruler. Everybody envies him, but nobody knows what's really going on in his heart. He sees all of these people, and he has compassion on them because of their condition. They were harassed, is what the Bible says. They were harassed with all of the same pressures that maybe you feel. And if you feel harassed in your day-to-day -day life, and they were helpless. They were helpless by the effects of sin around them. They were helpless by the effect of sin inside of them. They were, Jesus says, like sheep without a shepherd. And I know we've said this before, but, but it's increasingly important because we are less and less an agricultural world. So most of us have no idea what that means to be sheep without a shepherd. We see sheep usually painted on the front of a card as this beautiful, warm-looking animal that you'd like to cuddle up to. And boy, a little lamb, precious. Of course, sheep are stupid. Oh, oh there is no dumber animal on the farm than a pig's can run intellectual laps around sheep. Sheep are, the, the sheep will look right into a pit, go, bah, and step into it and get trapped. It's not always a flattering image to say we are like sheep, but, but it is a loving image saying that we are prone to making the kind of missteps that can be catastrophic in our lives, how much we need the loving embrace of a shepherd. And the good news, the gospel, Jesus is all about good news. 
God forgive us when we make the gospel all about bad news. It was good news. Is that through Jesus, a life with God was now possible for people who never thought they could qualify. And by grace, your sins can be forgiven. There's a way up out of the pit. Your guilt can be removed. You don't have to worry about the effects of falling in. Your idols can be overthrown. All of that is going on. It was true for the people that Jesus met. It is true for you. You can have a fresh start. This morning, every morning, you have a heavenly father who watches over you as you close your eyes for the last time at night. And the same father who is there with you when you awaken, you awaken with those beautiful words on your lips saying, praise God, your mercies are fresh every morning. You get to have this family that you can belong to. How good it is to feel like family again here. You have the spirit of the indwelling presence of God walking with you day by day. You get purpose to your life, purpose to inspire you. You have eternity to look forward to, not as an excuse for abandoning the world, but as the energy that allows you to throw yourself into it, and you can have hope. And Jesus would talk about all of these things. Matthew said he was going to the towns and the villages. He's got this huge range of, of ministry, but he talks specifically about the villages You know, of course, what a village is. A village is something that's too small to even qualify to be a town. The idea is that there was no place that was too small for Jesus. And more and more, people kept coming. And as they came, the scale of the need began to be overwhelming for Jesus. Something kind of broke inside of him. And he shared his brokenheartedness with his friends. One day he turned to his disciples, and it's like he said, Listen, I can't, I can't stand this. I mean, I can't go on like this. I can't stand it one day longer. These people trapped in lives without God. Their aloneness, their brokenness, their, their confusion, their fear and isolation, their pain, all that hurt. It's breaking my heart. Do you see it? I see it. MCBC, we... We can't be satisfied with our own little community, with this. I mean, how good this is. How good it is to have, to have friends and brothers and sisters, some old, some brand new. We can't be satisfied with this. We have to be able to say what Jesus was desperate for his followers to say is that we are not here just for us. We are here for them, the people who broke his heart. It's like Jesus was saying, right now, we're in the middle of all of these sheep. No shepherd. People are alone and confused, and they are harassed, and they are helpless. But there could be a harvest. We could see this harvest of of a joyful, redeemed humanity. It would bring joy to heaven. It would bring a little bit of heaven to earth. We could see this harvest going on of of reconciled relationships that could deliver people from all the hatred and the violence. And, and do we really need another reminder in the world, in Ukraine, that, that we are just absolutely prone to that? We could see a harvest of generosity so that instead of there being impoverished parents who don't have enough to feed their kids, everybody would have enough. We could see, see a harvest of righteousness that mean that people's characters are being restored and redeemed. 
It's like Jesus was overwhelmed. I can't stand to be here anymore when I know what life could be like over there. The kingdom of God. A little taste of what's up there at work down here. But there's a problem, Jesus said. Harvest is enormous. It's all around us. It's immense. Record levels. The problem is the labor force. As big as the harvest is, how big is the labor force? Jesus says, it's tiny. It's a blip on the radar. In fact, right now at that moment, it's kind of just this one guy. It's just Jesus. The workers aren't available. And so the full extent, the full range of the harvest, it's just going to, it's going to sit there and, and eventually it will be lost. So what should we do? Well, Jesus gives counsel. He says, start this way. Pray. Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers. Pray. Pray to God because it's God's harvest. And Jesus chooses a very important word here. That God will send out what? Workers. Not, not consultants. We love our consultants in the GTA though, right? Not experts. Not supervisors. Not consumers or VIPs or CEOs or MBAs. Just this humble word. Workers. What does a worker do? Uh, this isn't the blue collar congregation at all. What does a worker do? Works. <laughs> Jesus has a lot to say about this. He said, well, I am here. I have to be about the work that my father sent me to do. He says in John 9, verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. And it's not that hard. And in fact, anyone can do this. Listen, notice, encourage, care, Share, come alongside, witness, love. Jesus said to, to those who are around him, his closest friends, he said, folks, you can do this. Start, pray that God will send out workers, spiritual workers, kingdom workers, because my heart is breaking all around me. It's like sheep staring into the hole, walking into it. They need a shepherd. You have to pray. And so the disciples, they listened to Jesus and they prayed, God, send out workers. Send workers. If you have your Bibles, we are reading in Matthew chapter 9. Turn to the very next chapter, chapter 10, verse 1. Disciples have just prayed that God would send out workers. Guess who God has Jesus send out? <laughs> The ones who just prayed. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. It's like he's, God sent out workers, and then you want to jump out of the way because it's coming for you. The very next, this is crucial. Jesus had this driving mission in his life. It was his idea. He started it, and he invited some people to join him in it. And he was doing it because his heart was broken for the world. Jesus had a mission and invited people to join him in it. And it's not like he started the church and then gave the church a mission. It's actually the other way around. Jesus had this mission driven by love. And then he gave it to the church. Sometimes people think about churches 
not really as places that exist uh, for the sake of others, but primarily for the care and maintenance of their own. Maybe we have a missions department over here and we send out a few people to do a few good things. That's not really the church. Jesus didn't start the church and give it a mission. Jesus started a mission in the world and then gave it a church. But here's what can happen over time. David Platt, a great writer, uh, preacher, he, he talks about a ship that was built about, well, about 70 years ago now. It was to be the greatest troop carrier in U.S. naval history. It was called the SS United States. There it is. It was designed to carry 15,000 troops. It would carry them faster and further without having to stop for fuel or supplies. It would do it like no other ship had in naval history. Only thing was, it was never used to carry troops. Once it was built, people saw it, and, and it was so remarkable that it was changed instead to a luxury liner for celebrities and heads of state. It had 600 staterooms, four elaborate dining salons, and three bars and two theaters, all for the comfort of the world's finest. It was the first fully air-conditioned passenger liner for wealthy patrons who wanted to enjoy everything first class. You see the parallels, yes? Designed to be a troop carrier, to enable the mission, turned into a luxury liner for consumers. The dangerous thing when that happens to the church. We have a mission. Church is not a luxury liner, carrying its passengers to safety in heaven in nice air-conditioned rooms. It's a troop carrier carrying its troops into the battle for a generation, into the work of a harvest. We are not here just for ourselves. I was thinking as I was preparing the message for today, what, what if Jesus were here today? I mean, we know he is here. But what if he were here today physically? What if he took us on a walk around this neighborhood, around our city, around the GTA? What would he see? And how would it make him feel? Do you think Jesus would go through the GTA and say, mission accomplished, well done, church? What would he see? I think he might see the spiritual confusion, the isolation that is probably is greater than ever before. Marriages breaking up as a casualty of it kids and their parents estranged. I think he would see the gap between rich and poor getting wider and more painful. I think he'd see, see children being born absent of a loving family around them. I think he'd see people living in isolation. I think he'd see addictions on the rise. He'd see young girls with eating disorders and all kinds of pain over what society says is beauty and significance. He'd see men enslaved by online pornography. He'd see fear-ridden neighborhoods and burned-out healthcare workers and bankrupt businesses. He'd see anxious university students terrified that they're not going to get in or they're not going to get on. He'd see hopeless high school dropouts 
who are afraid that life has nothing left for them. Workaholic parents, maybe lonely retirees, and he'd see lots and lots of fear. Fear of aging, fear of failure, fear that there won't be enough money, fear of dying. And then he'd see the church. And he'd see this community of people who know God and know the grace of being forgiven and being loved. He'd see this community that's been given the Holy Spirit to guide us and wisdom from the scriptures, from the word of God. And he would see, I hope, and he would know and celebrate what in our hearts we, we hold on to and we, we're desperate to celebrate the truth that, that there really is nothing in the world like this, like the church, when it's working right. There's nothing in the world like it. And I wonder if maybe what Jesus might want to whisper to the church is, I want you to just take a walk with me. and Try and see what I see. Try and feel what I feel. And maybe amidst all the voices that are, that are shouting out with, with a mixture of hatred and condemnation, maybe, maybe I just want you to figure out how to love the GTA. You're not called to judge it. Not just to tell it to shape up. And we're not going to save it. I mean, God forbid that, that we ever see ourselves as the saviors and not the savies. We're in the same boat as everybody else. And we're not going to claim it. Lord, we claim it in your name. We're not going to win it as if this is some sort of prize for us to hold on to. We're not going to scold it. We're just, we're just going to love it. Mississauga and Brampton and Etobicoke. We're going to love Milton and, and North York and Oakville. And we're going to try really hard to love Scarborough, but you know, it is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I want to give you some homework for this week. It's spring after all. Nice days ahead. Get outside. Go for a walk. Go for a walk through your neighborhoods and listen for the voice of Jesus saying, I want you to love your neighbors. I want you to love your workplace. I want you to love the organization that you're a part of, your kids are a part of. Love the school districts. Love the law enforcement agencies. They're not very loved these days. Love that police officer who, when he stops to give you a ticket for going too fast, is in fact looking out for your own best interests. Love the city councils, love the artists, the writers, love the homeless, love the jobless. What if we all just kind of rolled up our sleeves and got our fingernails a little bit dirty and said, going to church means going to work? Because we can't stay here. The day is short, Jesus said. The task is great. The laborers are are few. So the Lord of the harvest invites us to pray. Lord, send out workers. There was a day, and it doesn't feel too long ago, when when the mission field was kind of language, Jennifer, that we used for stuff way out there. And we raised money, and people were generous, and we sent people way out there. And it was good, and lots was accomplished, but... 
But you know what? The way out there started looking at us and saying, maybe we need to send people back because the, the senders, they're in worse shape than the recipients. That in fact, when we talk about a mission field, it is as much here as there and sometimes more so. Thank God. Thank God that he's brought a mission field right here. So instead of a position of prestige and power that says, look at us who have it, let's share it with those who don't. We can say what God has always had us, had us say. We all need it. And we all share it. We are in so many ways sheep without a shepherd. And as God has sent the mission field here, look around you. Really, I mean, you, you can move a little bit. Look around you. you. You see it represented? The nations of the world, the culture, the diversity of the world. Just a little foretaste. If you don't like this, folks, you're going to hate heaven. You're going to hate it. Um, God said all the nations gathered at his throne, worshiping together. But maybe the one group that is still not represented well here is the largest growing group in our country. It's the religious nuns. How many of you thought Catholic? Yeah, anyway. You know, when you survey people in Canada, in North America, there's those check boxes, you check which religion. There's a new box that started to appear several decades ago. None. None. What faith community are you affiliated with? None. What's your religious affiliation? None. Demographers call them the religious nuns. Back in 1980, when they started looking at this group, they were about 7% of the population. By 2007, it was 15%. By 2012, it hit 20%. Uh, now it's over 25%. Robert Putnam, one of the scholars who writes about this, says, it's the sudden rise of the nuns that is the most significant change in the religious landscape of our world in the past 50 years. But here's the odd thing, and, and Putnam noticed this. He said 85% of the people who checked that box, religious nuns, they're not atheists. They're not unbelievers. They're open to God, and they're interested in spiritual things, in a spiritual life. Putnam says, though, that most of them gave up on the church a long time ago. Why? Because they were convinced, and sometimes rightly so, that the church had fallen victim to a kind of political ideology. That if you go there, it's more about a certain kind of politic or a certain moral regimen imposed on the world than it is necessarily about God. We're not a church with its own mission statement and political ideology. We're not some nonprofit charitable organization with its own agenda. We are a church that exists only because Jesus had a mission. The closest we come here to having a mission statement is the one that places Jesus at the very heart and center of our identity and purpose. If you've been here for a while, you know it's simply this. What is our mission? It's his. We say, unleashing the power of Jesus in people's lives. That's our mission. Simply as a way of saying it's not really our mission at all. It's his. And it's about him. We're not a church with a mission. We're a mission that has been given a church. Whatever it takes to reach, whatever it takes to, 
to have compassion on this generation that are, as Jesus said, harassed and helpless and pressured like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, we should wrap up. I want to give you one phrase, just as we're wrapping up, that if you feel any sense of agitation or dissatisfaction, just sit with that a little bit. That's okay. But there's this wonderful phrase that talks about the redemptive potential of a church or the redemptive potential of a life. And I want to say a word about that phrase, redemptive potential. You know that word potential, right? Potential is the capacity that you have that's yet to be realized. Humanly speaking, we know we all have potential. One of the greatest things in watching kids grow is to see the potential that was in them raised and raised and and fully expressed. We have potential intellectually and educationally and financially. We have all this potential. But when you put God into the equation, that word potential takes on this whole new dimension. With God in the equation, two loaves and five fish have the potential to feed a crowd of thousands. One little seed has the potential to be put into good soil and bear fruit a hundred times over. Potential is this whole other thing when God is in it. So that's potential. But then there's this word redemptive, kind of, kind of a churchy word. Redemptive activity is activity that's not aimed at human goals, not just building an organization, not just attracting people with better buildings, making more money. It means that what we do is in the service of God. That's redemptive. It's about the good news of the kingdom. So you put the two together, redemptive potential. And you ask, what is it that might happen if the church could achieve its fullest redemptive potential? Allowing God to unlock everything that has been locked up inside of us for his purposes. And if you feel a little bit unsettled by all of this, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe there's a part of us that shouldn't be satisfied with the church as long as that hasn't been fully achieved, the redemptive potential of God's people. So here it is for this weekend. As you're going out, would you pray, God, God, send workers, not consultants or supervisors, not spectators or consumers. Would you send workers? I mean, wherever you're at in your relationship with with Christ, you can pray that. God, send workers in the harvest. But here's the advanced elective. If you want to go one step further, pray this. God, would you send workers to the harvest? And could you make me one? Could you make me one? Again, I was thinking about this service and how we would close and imagining what it would be like if every person who calls himself a follower of Jesus, who's part of this little community, MCBC, were fully surrendered and made their number one commitment to that sort of moment by moment with God life. What could happen? What if we were giving at full potential? The world's not going to call you to that. Commercials won't call you to that. Jesus will call you to that. And it'll mess you up. <laughs> but it'll be good. Last week we ended our service, if you were here, with a bit of a sense of who is it that's here in my neighborhood in the room. 
Lots of cool things happened as uh, you had a chance to meet and share and pray for each other. We don't want anybody to be like that lonely briquette. You remember the illustration, a briquette out of the fire, the glow goes out, the heat goes down. You're part of a community. This week, the question is, will you pray? Will you look to see where God is at work in your life and in the world around you? Maybe it's where you're volunteering or you have a set of gifts. Maybe you have an idea. Maybe there's just some, some need and you have compassion and part of you is breaking and you're saying, I can't stand this anymore. God has given you some ability, some potential, some redemptive potential. And so you're going to pray, God, would you send workers into the harvest and let me be one? And then would you imagine with me what it would be like if God were to release in the GTA a kind of entrepreneurial kingdom movement? What if as much energy went into Jesus' mission as right now goes into the mission of making money, enhancing shareholder value? What if it meant that a movement gets started connecting together ministries and partners and churches all over the GTA until we reach a spiritual tipping point where every single person in the GTA had the opportunity to know at least once in their life a person who was alive and vibrant and following Jesus, a non-weird Christian who is attuned to the harvest. That's what we pray for. That's why you're here on the planet. And by the way, the harvest, it's going on right now. And so we should probably pray. You let me do that for us now. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus is the kind of Savior who has a heart that, that brims with compassion, who sees human need. We thank you, God, that there is a harvest, that there is a movement, mostly, mostly underground, under the radar. But it's all about you, and we get to be part of it. And folks joining us in the room or joining us online, if, if that's on your mind right now, would you say to God, Lord, send me. It might be right here. It might be right at my house. It might be right in my neighborhood or my school or my job. God, send me and I'll go. God, send workers. Count me among them, for we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.